0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And good evening, well, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Schaftoff, C70, at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. Alan Medlock is out on the beach in Hawaii, Um, so, you know, we brought in Kyle Kyle Reese instead. You know him from Birds of the Black, you know him at Kyle, R. 416, even though you're not supposed to follow him. Uh, Kyle, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing very well, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here and talk to you. It's it's always good to have, have Kyle around, and... We will obviously talk about the minor leagues here in a little bit, but let's first start out with the, the major leagues. And to some degree, that's a little bit of overlap in your area of expertise, right? We're watching, we're recording this as the Cardinals are playing the Brewers. Matthew Lebatori's on the mound. Nolan Gorman's hit his first home run of his major league career. Um, what is it like for you? And I know it's not. This isn't new. This is something you've dealt with for a long time, but when you start, you focus so much on these guys and now they're in the big leagues. I mean, is it, is it pride? Is it okay? Now I'm going to shift to somebody else. What is that dynamic like for you?
1: It's, it's more the, the last, the last thing you brought up at this point, it's just, you know, you have three games on a night, three minor league games a night, and then you have Palm beach playing that you don't get to watch, but you keep an eye on the game day. Sometimes you're listening and it, you know, obviously I'm keeping an eye on it. Like as we Mm -hmm. talk right now, I have the Cardinals on and if there were minor league games on, I, I probably have them off now since we're recording, but I'd have those on my computer and I keep an eye on the kids that I've watched now for years and years, but it allows me the opportunity, especially when it seems like the kids are going to fall off of the top prospect list. When they, when they exhaust their rookie eligibility, it gives me a chance to kind of pivot and maybe adjust my perspective on other prospects. And also the time that I have, uh, to, to engage in, get to know other prospects a little bit better. This, this is the first time that there have been this many rookie eligible players having a major league impact. So it, it has been a hell of a juxtaposition for the first time dealing with that. There's a really good chance that eight of these guys are going to fall off of my dirty, my dirty flirty or my dirty 35. Mm-hmm. They're going to fall off of my top prospect list by the time I get a chance to redo it. And that has kind of thrown my entire perspective off um now this group this 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 really encouraging group of prospects when we looked at them entering the season are are becoming the core of the 2022 saint louis cardinals and Mm -hmm. that that alone is just it's a fascinating thing to watch
0: how exciting is it for you i mean gorman and labor everybody's talked about them for quite some time but people are finally getting to see Brendan Donovan on the big league, and I know you've talked about him for years, for at least a couple of years now. Um, is it just a lot of fun to see these people see what you've been seeing? Absolutely, uh, with Donovan and Yepes
1: in particular. You know, I got I got a little bit of blowback uh, when you know I had I had Juan Yepes as my number six prospect, and I had mm-hmm. Brendan Donovan as my number seven prospect in the Cardinals organization as we entered the off season. And it wasn't just from like Cardinal fans because for the most part, the people who are my card, who are Cardinal fans that follow me, they, they, they respect, you know, my thoughts or at least understand where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. It actually ended up being from some of the the national people that I've made contacts with who question things about Brendan Donovan. You know, uh, there's, there's things nowadays that are measurable that I think throw people off. Sometimes we get over fascinated with the measurables and, you know, mm-hmm. Brendan Donovan doesn't, he doesn't always hit the ball hard. Like he doesn't have a, a really high average exit velocity. He's not hitting the ball 110, 116 miles an hour, uh, but he could hit and he could hit everywhere against both lefties and righties. And I I just knew that they could shift against him. He was going to break the shift. Um, but anyways, like I, I got a lot of blowback from some of these connections that I've made nationally. And, uh, you know, this is probably the most gratifying it's been. And maybe why when I take to Twitter and I'm like, I've been telling you about Brendan Donovan, it's it's not towards the fans It's really just my little way of jabbing at these people who maybe underestimated some of the lesser known uh, high octane, lesser high octane prospects in the organization.
0: There is definitely something, obviously there's something to be watching these guys all the time versus the national guys. And I know we've talked about that as well. So you can, you can focus in on these guys. They've got to look at, you know, 20 or 30 people from every organization. Exactly. Um, But there's also something about The Cardinals, right? That they're able to take these guys that don't necessarily look big and impressive and they at least plug in and are are effective for uh, at some point in time. It may not be a huge long career, but they're definitely, and sometimes they are. There's, you know, Skip Schumacher's on the bench, but nobody ever thought Skip Schumacher was going to be a thing. He came up and he's had, what, a 10 year career or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, Just, it just feels like, and maybe it's just because that's what we see and maybe other organizations have this, but it feels like, the Cardinals are able to get the most out of whatever the player has. Cardinals
1: do an incredible job. And, you know, we talk about Randy Flores and Randy Flores definitely, definitely deserves a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's about the people that you surround yourself with and the scouting department for the St. Louis Cardinals deserves all of the credit in the world. They do more with picks three through 10, uh, you know, rounds, their picks and rounds three through 10 than probably any other organization in baseball. And, you know, that comes at a time when maybe they don't have the same resources in the draft as the Dodgers or the Rays. And they're uh, always picking, you know, in the back half, if not the back third of the major league draft and in the back third of every round in the major league draft, not just the first round. So those, those scouts deserve a ton of credit, which says nothing for the culture and the environment and the atmosphere that is created for these players. Once they enter the organization, you know, uh, we've heard Gary LaRock talk, about how they believe every one of these players has a chance. And they tell these players that they have a chance. And between that and the winning culture, keeping legends around, making them part of the coaching staffs, making them part of roving instructors, uh, it it does, it creates an environment that even though they don't necessarily have the same resources as teams like the Dodgers and the Rays have into the system, uh, it creates an entirely different dynamic than basically any other organization has. Uh, So yeah, it's, they, they definitely, it seems like they do more with less. And I don't know necessarily if we as fans fully grasp the less, because when you're talking about draft resources, when you're talking about scouting resources, we don't see any of that, right? We don't, we don't, you don't see those players. It's not like, oh, uh, Cardinals have scouts at the Dodgers game. They have scouts at USC. They have scouts, you know, none of that stuff is tracked or monitored. So since it's out of our, Out of our collective consciousness we don't really uh have very we can't have gratitude for things we don't have any view on
0: right um you talked about Juan Yepes we've seen him be very successful so far and obviously there's still some growing pains and stuff when was the last time that a lottery ticket paid off do you think for the Cardinals because that is I mean that was what Juan Yepes right for Matt Adams it was like hey we'll take this guy and we think there's something there, but you know, if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. It, it feels like you always get, you always hear about the lottery ticket, but it very rarely cashes in. But it definitely has here. Yeah, that made me think. You know, I'm trying to make, as you're saying it, I'm trying to draw
1: the parallels, the comparisons, right? Mm-hmm. Like I start thinking, who was like the other one for one deals where you're trading a major leaguer for a minor leaguer? The first one that comes to my mind is a ledmies Diaz. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that didn't turn mm-hmm. out. Um, Randall Grichik, that didn't turn out. Um,
0: who, uh, you know. Does yeah. Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neal count? Uh
1: Marco, not, not really. Not for me. I mean, it might for yeah, some people. And that wasn't
0: a lottery ticket. I mean,
1: they knew what they yeah. had in Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking more about yeah. maybe some of the, the unsung players that mm-hmm. were like a one for one or yeah. um, you know, Piscati doesn't really count either because of circumstance. Yeah. But not on this level. Not on this level. They've done some interesting stuff like when they traded minor league cat or uh, international draft or international money, international cap funds, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for like Lane Thomas, I right. uh, you know yeah. that was a great move. Um, they've done some really interesting stuff with the with moving some of that international cap, but no, nothing nothing like that. Nothing like what Juan Yepes has become, especially
0: with with what his journey to become what he is has been. Yeah. Which made me actually, I haven't thought about Lane Thomas for a year or two, so I wanted to go see what he was doing. Looks like he's had a pretty decent last year with the with the Nationals. Struggled yeah. a little bit this year, but um, you know. Hopefully he can write the corner. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what we've seen out of the Cardinals so far, just the whole thing. Um, And right now it's, it very easy to kind of just say this is kind of a blah team, right? I mean, it's gotten, I mean, there's some, there's some great stuff because of the old guys and the new guys, but overall you look at this team, it wins two or three, it loses two or three and it doesn't ever seem to get on, any kind of traction of a run, um, what, have your, what are your thoughts on what you've said? I know you, you know, again, you're spending a lot of time in the minor leagues, but I know you're watching the big club too.
1: I, uh, yeah, it's been pretty uneven, right? Uh, or I guess it's evenly uneven by how <laughs> much of a up and down it is. You know, I just watched, um, you know, as we're talking, the Cardinals are playing on Saturday during the day, and I just watched Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run to the opposite field, and it snuck over the fence. And then, as we're talking right now, Nolan Arenado hits the ball to the same spot. It's just that it goes to the warning track. And as I'm watching, as we're talking, and as I'm watching, Paul Goldschmidt hit this ball, I'm thinking, "Oh, that's not going to go over the fence." So I was blown (laughs) away when Goldschmidt's ball went over the fence first. I thought, "Wow, I'm not—you know—it's a little warm in St. Louis. It's not—it's not super warm. It's a beautiful day, Um, but to me, I, I bring that up because. It's been the inconsistencies offensively. Now, Brendan Donovan goes to the opposite field for a base hit. Of course he does. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Been trying to tell you about Brendan Donovan. No. uh, So, for me, like, the pitching has been inconsistent, right? We've had moments where TJ McFarlane comes in and is terrible. Uh, We've Mm -hmm. had inconsistencies with the starting pitching. Steven Matz is as good as he's bad when he's healthy. Um, And Dakota Hudson and uh, uh, our good friend Jordan Hicks, both of those guys have been terrible um, at, at lasting long into starts. So there's been inconsistencies, but there's also been some really great performances throughout all of it. And, uh, you know, I, I doubt we get into a situation where when Tyler O'Neill comes back or Dylan Carlson comes back and everybody's hitting like they did for the 17 straight games or the last month of the season where everything is hitting on all cylinders. But all it's going to take is for some of the cylinders that aren't hitting to, to hit. And mm-hmm. like, I, I'm actually really optimistic about the Cardinals that, uh, you know, even even through some of the, the issues that they've had, I I just I don't feel as down on them as I have in past years. And maybe it's because I do have a knowledge of a lot of the young players. Maybe it's because I like a lot of the guys who were, A, supposed to come into their own that weren't coming into their own before they were put on the IL. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I love the, the stalwarts in the organization. I, I love the guys that have been here for a while. And I still think they have a good mix. I think that it's still coming into its own. I think that they need to continue to employ, um, you know, uh, every opportunity that they can with the lineup and with matchups to, you know, match up as good as possible to maximize their potential uh, from a winning games perspective. Um, what, Daniel? What do you think as you stand here, as we're, you know, whatever day it is, May twenty eighth, almost at Flag Day, almost at Mike Clay, Mike Claiborne's Flag Day. How, how are you feeling about the team?
0: Well, you know, it depends on the, it depends, you know, right now up five to nothing. You feel a lot <laughs> better about them than you do otherwise. Yeah. I think there's, there's something to that because I think that you can't feel terrible about them because they are hanging around. You know, if they were able to win today's game and there's still time, obviously, but they're, they got a good lead. They're two and a half behind Milwaukee. You got another game with them tomorrow, but either, either way, you're hanging right there with Milwaukee. They've proven they can play with the Brewers. They can play with, you know, the Mets. They've lost, you know, a couple of games that they should have won against them, but, you know, really held their own there too. Obviously won the two series against the Giants. Um, I think they've played to the level, good and bad, um, of their competition. Um, and I think that's, that's only, that shows that the, the talent is there. They've just, like you said, got to hit a couple more cylinders. Um, and whether that is offensively or, you know, the pitching staff and the rotation has a little bit of a struggles now. And you mentioned Jordan Hicks and you've got a, you know, I want to hear what your thoughts are on here because we've seen the Hicks and I don't, and I say experiment because it was, I don't want to put any bias in that word, Um, you know, to see if he could develop as a starter at the major league level. Um, Had some good moments, had some step backs and now of course injured. What were you, when you watched him, is this a situation where he's just taken a couple steps back and he can continue the, that growth that we were seeing, or do you think that he may have hit the wall and you know they've got to reevaluate that role? You know, even that last start
1: uh, before he was put on the IL that was fascinating. It was a fascinating start. He gets off to a slow start in each one of these starts. You know, he, mm-hmm. that that first inning is always like a twenty to twenty-five, if not thirty, pitch affair, and that would be huge if he could figure out a way to maybe come into a game. Uh, you know, that we used to criticize Carlos Martinez for that. He'd come in his first inning would be his worst, but even in that last start, right. It's like a 22 pitch first inning or or like a 26 pitch first inning, a 22 pitch second inning, and then a 13 pitch third inning. And then the wheels come off in the fourth inning where he just, and you can see that he's rushing himself. He's rushing his own pace. He's rushing how he's coming out of his mechanics. um, And he just can't find his own. You could tell he's frustrated and, you know, My general thoughts about Jordan Hicks as a starter are we know that there's health issues there. Um, And I personally view his long-term if, you know, depending on what a long-term is, but I view his long-term potential as a starter. I know that you see the high octane. I know that you, you view it as definitely back end of the bullpen or bullpen uh, material. uh, and, And I understand that, but for me, especially with the state of the Cardinals starting pitching and even some of the depth that's behind what's at the major league level. Now I would like for them to continue to stretch him out as a starter. Now I would like for them to do that at the minor league. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't blame them for doing it at the major leagues. And I think that one thing that fans and I don't, you know, obviously the, the Hickses, you know, they, they, they're pad people. Uh, I've no, I haven't talked to them about this. This is only me speculating or, mm-hmm. or just where my mind goes, but, Part of me wondered if maybe the reason why Jordan Hicks became a starter at the major league level uh, as opposed to getting a chance at the minor league level, other than the fact that he's earned it and the fact that the way that the injuries happen at the end of spring training and what they had available to him is because, you know, you can monitor him every start at the major league level. You know, Mm -hmm. sure, we've seen guys go on rehab assignments. Uh, And then the day after the rehab there, you see them in the dugout and then they're back down at the minors uh, for their second rehab start. And then the next day they're at the major league level in the bullpen. And like, we've seen them do the travel to get them to and from the major leagues to keep an eye on them as they're going through rehabs as they're, you know, but I, I, I've always wondered, and I've never asked about it, if that was part of the reason why having Jordan Hicks become a starter at the major league level happen was so that they could keep an eye on him and see how he was recovering uh, and, and see how he was doing. But I think they're in a unique situation now where they'll get him off the IL, uh, whenever they get him off the IL and they can stretch him out in the minors a little bit. So it was an ideal. And now I think they're, it almost like this, this very, very precautious because it, it's, it is precautious. This isn't like something we should all be super worried about. Um, this 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 gives them a chance to pivot and and maybe bring him
0: along in a way that better suits him. That would make sense. I mean, it was interesting that it just never seemed to be an option, especially after the season started for him to develop in the minor leagues. And that would make sense if they're trying to keep a, a, a sharper eye on him. Um, I I don't know what that would say about the you know communication and issues in the minor leagues that they can't necessarily trust that as much, but that's probably not probably me reading too much into things. Um, Maybe the only thing, the only thing I'll say about that. And again, I I don't know about
1: that, but it's just, you know, he's in such, his situation is just so different, you know, not only dealing with type two diabetes, but all of the, the arm issues that he's had in the past, Mm -hmm. like the the circumstances with him is just a little bit different. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, And so, if everybody gets healthy and we're still, you know, we don't know how long he's going to be out. We, you know, Jack Flaherty's looking like maybe in a two or three weeks, maybe after a a bit of a rehab. Um, I don't know about Matt's, but if everybody got healthy at the same time, how does this rotation look to you? What do you, what do you think they would do? Um, Who's going to be in it? Or is this a situation where we're talking about, you know, piggyback starts or, or six, six man rotations? I don't think I, I personally don't think that
1: the six-man rotation. I don't think that they do. If everybody was healthy, I don't think that they do piggyback starts. I think again, say that say that one month from now. Uh, oh, hi, friend. Oh. Yeah, see the dogs have fun people outside, so I'll, I'll mute this while you answer. <laughs> oh, I want to play with the dogs though. Can can you send them over here? Um, uh, I wish I could. <laughs> uh, you know, my guess would be if everybody's healthy, say in a month. Matt's is healthy. Say Flaherty's healthy. Um, I, I bet you're talking about a rotation that, that is Waino, Michaelis, uh, Matts, Flaherty, and and honestly, like I'm Dakota Hudson, probably unless I'm forgetting somebody in there, which I could be. Because now, no. now, all I can think about is dogs.
0: Yeah, yeah, I knew it. that's <laughs> it's, it's, it's all gone now, folks. We need to shut the shut the contest down now because Kyle's gone. Uh, yeah, that's that's I mean, that's probably right. Um, now, what I would day. do,
1: mm-hmm. real, just what I would do is, yeah. if Libertor earns it here, I I would I would find every excuse to get Dakota Hudson out of the rotation. That's that was my yeah. last thought.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a smart idea. And is this? It was a little bit surprising when they brought Libertor up to me, just because they had to make the forty man move to do it, and they had not a whole lot of other forty man options. But they did have maybe one or two if they had planned ahead of time, but you know, you know, be or whatever. Um, is that just an s- indication they'd really like to make that move to try to figure a way to get him into the rotation? Or was it just a, we need this guy. We're going to, you know, want him on the 40 man for these spot starts. I think it's both.
1: If that, if it's possible mm-hmm. for it to be both, I think the fact that they sent him down immediately after his first start tells you that they, they don't want to rush it along. If they don't have to rush it along, but I, I think we know enough about the Cardinals and the rhetoric that's come from the front office and the, the coaching staff to know that they view Matthew Libertor as a rotation stalwart for, for the foreseeable future. Um, I believe the reason they, they went back to him instead of maybe, you know, uh, again, you have to worry, you have to talk about when guys can come back after being sent to the minors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the reason they went back to him instead of going to Woodford is because, well, now he has a real opportunity. So let's yeah. see what that real opportunity looks like. Let's see what he can do. And uh, so, yes, I think that this this is a real chance for him to assert himself into the rotation, but I don't think that that was the plan at first.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, what is, I mean, not again, this may overlap a little bit with some minor talks that we talk about, but is there a plan for... Johan Oviedo, do you think we'll see him back in the big leagues this year? I don't think Johan is
1: a, a starter in any capacity. The, the more mm. I watch him, and he's been good lately. His last couple starts, he's he's been good. I just think that he's a relief pitcher. I think he has a relief pitcher's arm. And I think he also has a chance to be like a dominant relief pitcher. And he's still young. You know, he's still making up for lost time, uh, aggressive promotions, just like a lot of these guys mm. are. But, uh, yeah, he just... I, I don't know. I just, I view him now, I guess the way I look at it with Oviedo, right? Cause his stuff is so good and he's at his best when he's keeping the ball down in the zone and he's getting grounders. And uh, I just here if the Cardinals are going to be so quick about putting Henesis Cabrera in the bullpen, when they put Genesis Cabrera in the bullpen, then that was a need situation. Then I yeah. would imagine that that, that is also the case with Johan Oviedo. Oviedo, Still, and this is what we've seen him work through in his last couple starts that's been impressive, but he still gets upset when he's not getting strikes. He still gets upset when he lets up home runs. He's let up a lot of home runs this season. Uh, these last couple starts, not as many. You can see him settling down. But he just, the emotional side of pitching, he hasn't quite mastered yet. And again, you don't want that in the bullpen either but I just think the fewer opportunities he has to let his emotions get the better of him in a start, because it doesn't go from like, those emotions don't carry over from start to start. So I don't think it'll carry over from appearance to appearance. I just think like Oviedo, Johan Oviedo could be a very, very valuable and a very impressive relief pitching
0: option for the St. Louis Cardinals at some point. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him get a win just at the major league. It's just sentimental type of thing just because – of the two or three times where he took a win you know, late that he should have gotten and the yeah. bullpen blew it for him or something like that. But, you know, but, baseball is at its best when it's dumbest. It would make sense that he'd get his first win pitching out of relief. Absolutely. Absolutely. He would probably come into a game that they were down about three runs uh-huh. and then, you know, somebody hits a grand slam <laughs> yeah. and he ends up getting the win. That's yeah, he, your he, right. only, he only throws the one batter to get out of the <laughs> inning and that's how he get his first win. Yep, yep. You know, a little pop-up, one pitch, and yeah. it's win. that's it. That, that <laughs> would be baseball for sure. Um uh, Yeah, it's just it's interesting to see that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm interested to see how, how all this shakes out because there are a lot of moving pieces now, and when people get healthy on the pitching side, maybe that helps. It seems like the offense is pretty much what it's going to be, right? I mean, I can't imagine – I mean, Tyler O'Neill's got to come back, obviously. But you know, Tyler O'Neill comes back. Is that is that the end of it for Corey Dickerson? And is that the offense that we see the rest of the way? Yeah, I think I think right now you're talking about the end of Corey Dickerson with
1: whatever happens, whether Mm -hmm. it's Carlson's ready to go or O'Neill's ready to go, or uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think we're at the point now as we enter June. Remember the Cardinals; they usually will give. Most things a two month run. Uh, so I think now that we enter June, I think that you're talking about the eventual and uh, the eventual end of Corey Dickerson with whatever the next roster move needs to be to get the uh, your you know get your starting 26 in order. That's that's what I think. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I, to me, it seems like the offense has been more consistent than it's ever been, mm-hmm. uh, and that's without Dylan Carlson, without Tyler O'Neill, and both of those. And you know, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill is a whole different story. But Dylan Carlson was really starting to look like himself before he got hurt. You know, those two weeks, he was really starting to look like himself. So timing stunk there for him. But uh, yeah, they're going to have a bunch of decisions to make. And right now, all of the people, except for, you know, one, Yepes has had some struggles here and there, but uh, all of the people that they called up to replace those guys are doing extremely well. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, sorting out the rotation is one thing if everyone were healthy, but when O'Neal gets healthy and Carlson gets healthy, what that means for how the lineup is used on a daily basis, that's going to be what's fascinating to watch for me.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Tyler O'Neill. What is, I mean, what have you seen this year that's got him so far off of what he was, you know, last year, Uh, MVP last year. Now it's not, it's not that he's, you know, completely fallen back to some of those early bad habits, I don't think, but there's some, you know, echoes of those early years for him. I
1: have a lot of thoughts about this. You you know that I have uh, I've watched Tyler O'Neill for a long time, and there you know we joke it's around so about so many different ways. Yeah, in every conceivable <laughs> from every conceivable angle, I've watched Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, uh, you know, all kidding aside, from a, from a baseball evaluation standpoint, what I so in the off season he made a little change to his approach, and he made a little change to his swing with the idea that he'd be able to use that that right field gap more consistently. And the idea was with two strikes, he'd shorten up and he'd just start pushing the ball. And it worked in spring training. We saw it working in spring training. But it did not carry over to the major league level. Now, we've heard everybody with an opinion talk about uh, the mechanical issue, about his timing. But it's not his timing. It's not the mechanics. It's not the physical. It's what's going on in his head that got him to the point that he needed what is probably an imaginary IL stint. Uh, you can see him double clutch on his timing, and that's because the second it's not just it's not the natural mechanics. It's his brain messing with his 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 lead timing. And th- I believe personally that's what's going on. I think that last year he had an early IL stint, and when he came back he was and he had he did a little bit of luck when he came back, you know his, he was Ooh. using his speed. Uh, had a couple infield singles. Um, but he came back and he was he was better. his mind was clear and I, I think that's what we're gonna see when he comes back. but uh, he would if you again, if you go back and watch and if if you if I'm doing a good job of explaining it or not, uh, I apologize if I'm not, but you can actually see him double clutching his timing and it's because his mind wasn't working with his upper and his lower body. And that's that's a confidence issue. Uh, it's not necessarily a mechanical issue in that particular instance. So, that, to me, I think it's a positive. I think when he comes back, whenever he comes back, he'll it'll take him a minute to get going, and he's going to need a little bit of luck, or he's going to need to be full throttle. Uh, and I think we'll see a more uh, something that resembles more the Tyler O'Neill of the second half of last year.
0: Do you th- mean being that this is? for lack of a better word kind of a mental you know thinking issue did the arbitrate i know he's even said a little bit how much of that arbitration not going in the winter but coming through the season you know just even just a little bit of, of distraction can make a huge difference
1: yeah if you know if the player says it's a distraction it's a distraction because every one of these players tries to blow it off like it's not right uh, so and I also think that tells you a little bit about the type of person Tyler O'Neill is. He's an honest kid, you know. He mm-hmm. he, he he's straightforward. He'll he'll tell you exactly what he's feeling, what he's thinking. Um, and yeah, sure, he might tell uh, Coach Marmol that he's more ready than he is, or he's feeling close than he you know. But of course, he's going to say that. But the fact that he was saying that this had such an impact on him tells you that one of the one of the things that one of the negatives that came out of the CBA and it taking so long to agree on the CBA is the fact that now we have uh arbitration cases that were starting at you know the arbitration hearings that were happening at during the season for the first time ever mm-hmm. and that that I mean that's for organizations that can't be good for players that can't be good and hopefully it never happens again
0: yeah and it would have been nice it would have been smart, I think, if the organization had realized that. I mean, I know that they saved $750,000 or whatever the case may be, but I don't think they noticed that. Um, and they might have gotten a lot more production out of him. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on the whole file and trial situation. I think that you can figure out something and, you know, save yourself from going in there and telling your player that they're not as good as they actually are. So, how how brutal that is! How brutal! What be. a brutal system! Yeah, because I mean, even as, as as clinical as you want to make it, and I know you know people get job um, evaluations and things all the time in different fields, but as clinical as you want to make it, there's got to be some part of you that takes it personally, especially as a, a competitive players that are that we're seeing here. You know, they in the big leagues because of that competitive spirit, and if somebody tells them, "Hey, you're not good at something," then it's very hard, I would think, for them not to take that personally. Yeah, especially pride-filled
1: athletes. Yep. I mean, we what the story this morning was about how Tommy Pham wanted to murder Jack Peterson for fantasy fantasy baseball. <laughs> so our fantasy football. So I think that tells you all you need to know.
0: Yeah, but Tommy had yeah.
1: hit somebody in three days, so it was time. <laughs> you know, I
0: think that's <laughs> kind of like he, he hadn't been stabbed and he hadn't <laughs> hit anybody, so <laughs> it's like. How am I supposed to how am I supposed to play in these conditions? That's just not it's not right. So <laughs> um this week we also saw the debut, I'm gonna kind of put that in quotes, of Ivan Herrera. He got a chance to come up when Yachty was gone for a couple of days for the son's surgery. Very surprised to me that Herrera didn't at least get in a bat. He got a chance to get into a game, which is cool, but um were you surprised that they went ahead and brought him up, even when he obviously wasn't going to play very much? Instead of just going ahead and you know bring up Alex Sanchez, let him sit there.
1: No, it's the same kind of thing with Matt uh, with him as Matthew Libertor, right? Uh, again, well, Libertor got a start, but it gives them a chance to get up here, get an ex- like that experience underneath their belts, you know, so that when they do get called up and when they are called upon, maybe. Some of those nerves are gone. Maybe that that first part is out of their system, and now when they get up a second time, they can uh, they can perform. I was I was definitely dis- <laughs> definitely disappointed that he didn't get an at bat. I was I was hopeful for him, but I, I you know you could probably make the, the argument that it's more important to have a catcher get reps behind the plate than it is at the plate. So uh, he'll get his first at bat soon. I would imagine at some point during this year, both either Kisner or Yadi will get hurt. Uh, I think that that's probably a safe bet. Um, but yeah, and he'll, he'll eventually make his, get his first major league at bat. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I'm glad he got a chance. I'm glad they went to him rather than Ali Sanchez, because I mean, he's earned it the way that he's played this season. And, uh, yeah, just another, again, another exciting prospect that, uh, appears, appears on the timeline, not just in the distance.
0: So how, how do you think next year shakes out behind the plate? I mean, you've got, obviously, Kisner is still developing and and is there's nothing, no reason to move on from him or anything like that. Um, but then obviously Herrera now on the 40 man and with this, his taste, are they going to do a, a you know a split time back there? Or, or what do you think? I think that at first
1: it'll be similar to what we have right now with Kisner and Yachty, except for, you know, Kisner getting Yachty's share and Herrera mm-hmm. getting Kisner's share. That's that's my guess. You know, I, knowing the Cardinals, if Ali Sanchez is still around, they might give him a shot. You know, they might say, hey, we want to, depending on how this year goes, depending on what spring training looks like next year, they might say, uh, we want to give Herrera a little bit more time at Memphis and maybe Sanchez or whichever recycled minor league catcher that has <laughs> a little bit of major league experience ends up coming up and they, they give Kisner a real run to be a starter. But, you know, I, I think that uh, – I think with the catching situation, with with that position, with, with being a catcher being so difficult, with being such a grueling position, there's a way to make it work with a 22, you know, he'll be, Avon Herrera will be 22 next year. There's a way to make it work with a 28-year-old and a 22-year-old. And uh, I think now, if Kisner's willing to take on that Yadier Molina role, which is more than he's ever had, and... I think there's a way to get a 60-40 split or, you know, you start the year with a 70-30 split and maybe work to a 50-50 split or something like that, depending on circumstance. That, that's how I see it playing out, uh, regardless of how they break the camp next year. Because I could also see a situation, and it would be very Cardinals to have Tyler Heineman or Ali Sanchez or Matt Wieters or whoever <laughs> be, be Kisner's backup for two months. Yeah,
0: Brandon Pena is still out there. I think. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, as long as he doesn't fall down the steps at the uh, in camp, they should be fine. Right. <laughs> um, and I think as Cardinal fans, we're going to have to you know, like shift our mindset, right? Because we're used to Yachty playing 140 games or 145 or whatever the case may be, and that's not necessarily normal for catchers. So you know, even if Kipper plays 120 games, that's still 60 for Herrera or whoever the case may be. Um, it's not like they're going to be wasting away on the bench like they would have, like a, like Carson Kelly did when Marina was here. It's exactly. definitely not going to be that kind of situation.
1: Yeah, or like even Kiz did at first, you know, right. or
0: as everyone who's ever backed up Yachty has <laughs> when Yachty isn't hurt, you know? Yeah, yeah, so that's that's going to be an interesting how, an interesting thing to see. How have you felt about what you've watched out of Kiz so far? I think I like it. Yeah. Um, You know, I I can't say that I have watched it with any specific, you know, look at it, but I think that it's definitely more than, it's definitely a bit better than a, you know, Tony Pena or some sort of, you know, scrub backup catcher. I've enjoyed seeing him out there and I was glad that at least early on they were, you know, kind of making that 60-40 split or so that they didn't just run Molina out there every day. Um and there's still I mean Yadi's playing more but Yadi's hitting more too uh than he was early on. But so I'm glad to see him when he gets his chance to be out there. Um and I I'm just looking forward to seeing how he continues to develop. Yeah, yeah, me too. Which which one of these rookies or you know even kids, cuz this
1: is Kiss, the Kisner's yeah. first real chance. <laughs> Pretty much counts. It yeah. might as well be, right? Um right. even Lars Nupar you can add him, but like which one of these kids has stood out the most to you?
0: Wow. That's a, it's, it's gotta be Donovan, right? I mean, cool. because I mean, one, he's gotten a chance to play a lot more. I mean, we've only seen Gorman for about a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Libertor only making his second start. Um, yep. I guess, yep. and Donovan both have had about as much time out there, but, um, yeah, I'd like to see, you know, the fact that he's flexible, the lab, it, you know, he's a, He's a, a great guy to have around. I think that, you know, I don't know, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be some sort of all-star or something, but he's that kind of glue player that at least it seems like that, you know, these kind of, you know, teams need, teams need a guy like that. And teams need a guy that can play third or, or second or go out in the outfield or whatever the case may be. I mean, that's what Tommy Edmund was, right? I mean, yeah. until he got locked into the middle infield. Um, so to see Donovan do that and to hold his own, it's been really fun.
1: Yeah.
0: By the way, are you are you watching the Cardinal game? It's on behind me, but I I I, I turn around occasionally and look. Um. So it's it's the it's the Nolan Gorman
1: game. It's officially the Nolan Gorman (laughs) game. Just like and it always these games always happen during the day. It's it seems like it's always a weekend day. Like I I don't remember what day of the week the Lane Thomas game was, but I definitely remember the Tyler O'Neill game. Being uh, a Sunday day game, and yeah. right right now, Nolan Gorman just drove in two more runs, and uh, yeah, yeah. As we're talking yeah, about sure middle, <laughs> as we're talking about middle <laughs> infield, and Tommy Edman running around
0: crazy. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, and it's good. It's good to see that out of Gorman, right? Because you know, I'm sure there were some people this week that were a little, of course, if they're what right riding the boom and bust train, you know, after his weekend in Pittsburgh it was rough on him this week um, as he started to make some adjustments so to see him come out and have a good game like this, get his home run, get another couple of RBIs. I think that helps. I would got to help his confidence as well.
1: This is uh this is the, the life of a high K minor league prospect, mm. making his major league debut. Um, again, I, I, for the last couple of years, I've been trying to somewhat prepare fans, prepare us for, for this. This is, this was going to be the, the reality of Nolan Gorman until he got his legs underneath him and until he asserted himself uh, with regular major league at bats as a regular, a regular at the major league level, that, that some, some games are going to go 0 for four with the golden sombrero. And some games are going to go three for four or four for four with power and slug and RBIs galore. And uh, I'm glad that he's getting his first chance to really have that game. He, he was so good against the pirates, of course, but this is uh this is a whole different world now.
0: Right. I mean, you know, that was part of the thing, right? It's like, well he hit 500 but it was the pirate so how much you know what's the is that like 300 against the regular team you know something like that uh you, you didn't really know how to translate that so um t- to be able to to see that is great um so let's talk about the minor leagues what what should we be watching um as they're coming up
1: uh well if you're talking about what to just watch at the minor league level right now i would say fix fix your eyes on what's going on at springfield uh yeah, Springfield is probably the, the marquee, the marquee location. Um, you know, that Mason wins there. Jordan Walker's mm-hmm. there. Moises Gomez is probably only there for the rest of the week is my guess. Um, but then you have Gordon Graceffo and you have Michael McGreevy. Um, th- yeah. The, the, the biggest, the biggest group of prospects uh, are currently at Springfield because the guys at Memphis are all at the major league level. So uh, yeah, like, that, that's that's what's going on. You know, Peoria, it's it's interesting to watch Peoria because they had, you know, they had Wynn, Graceffo, McGreevy, and now they don't really have as much from like a high-end prospect perspective. You know, the, the other thing about Springfield, not only do they have Wynn and Walker and those guys we just talked about, but they also have a couple really low-key, under-the-radar prospects that have a chance to make a major league debut in a, a left-handed power bat, Chandler Redman, and a catching prospect named Pedro Pajes, who spends his name, his spell, his name is spelt like pages, which is um, how I'm gonna pun on it. No, no, which <laughs> is fantastic, because it's just more I can ignore. And uh, and uh, um, yeah, so like uh, it's as as the season's progressed, as so many of these kids have found their way to the major leagues, and then every level's had to backfill accordingly. Uh, to watch like what's happened at Peoria, there's almost like a a culling of prospects that have happened at Peoria. They don't really have like a hitting headliner now. There's you know it's it's a lot of guys who are still trying to assert themselves following their draft or or maybe even in their second year uh, in the organization or their second year at Peoria. Um, and then even the pitching now, where where Peoria is really fascinating to watch is some of their relief pitchers. You know, um, Nathaniel Heredia is an interesting name to keep an eye on. A, a lefty that does some incredible, just like a 37% strikeout rate, uh, throws some high velocity. Like it, It's funny when you look at them, it's the first time ever that I'm I'm excited to watch uh, their a relief core at a minor league Ooh. level. And that's what's going Ooh. on at Peoria. Palm Beach is a whole different story. I don't even know what to say or talk about there. Uh, and then, like I said, between what's gone on at the major league level and what's still going on in Memphis and more than likely what i'm assuming is either this week or next week of a moises gomez promotion to to memphis uh, it, the the organization is kind of in a weird transition year uh, almost now now that all of these guys are making a major league debut and a major league impact and i've again just to go back to that old uh, point that we kind of started this with i've never experienced this i've never experienced the time when all of the, like all of these top prospects are are becoming major leaguers at the same time. You know, I mm-hmm. I went on and on all offseason and into the season talking about how I think I thought national services were undervaluing the Cardinals system. And part of that was how many of these guys were close to knocking on the major league door. And for I've been the champion of saying that no, that this is this is one of, this is a top 10 system. This might even be a top five system. Well when you take Gorman and Donovan and Yepes and Libertor and potentially Herrera and then you even talk about taking Pallante. Uh, you know, you take all of those guys off and you talk about some of the injuries that they have at the minor league level, you know, not to say that they're top prospects, but like Jack Ralston's been hurt all year. Griffin Roberts hasn't pitched in what seems like two decades. Um, you know, <laughs> like they, they have all of, it's like it went from being this this legitimate, like top prospect organization, this, this potential top 10, top five organization in baseball, in my opinion, to almost being like, a back five. And what's really fascinating now is they, they have a really intriguing group of teenaged prospects that in past years, we would see at short season affiliates at state college or Johnson city come June, when those seasons start that now we might not even see this year uh, because short season clubs don't exist anymore, except for what goes on at the complex. So that, That's all just to like frame the discussion into now for maybe the first time ever, that exciting group of prospects that we haven't seen yet, absolutely need to begin to start reaching their potential. And I can't remember a time when the Cardinals were in this position where the international prospects need, like, you know, they need to reach their potential. And some of the teenage draft prospects uh, that that they took flyers on earlier in the early in the dra- draft need to hit their potential, and it's it's as
0: frightening as it is exciting. Um, you you mentioned not having the short season ball. What, in your opinion, uh, is how good is the complex ball? I mean, I, I don't know what kind of information you get out of that. Yeah. I know there's not a whole lot for the general public at all, but. I mean, obviously there is some development there, but I can't, I mean, just me personally feels like, man, drills can only do so much, right? Yeah. There's drills and scrimmages and, you know, a lot of stuff going on in the backfields.
1: Just what I try to tell people is think of it as like what we view spring training as. It's just, it's like a full-time job for the minor leaguers and the instructors. So that's, that's the best way, you know, they, they won't find out more about who they are or what they have, of course, until it begins in earnest uh you know i think i think in this within the next month um but yeah like uh yeah you nailed it it's you don't have you don't have action and when you have action it's so controlled and that goes for even when the complex season fires up it's still so controlled it's not like sending your kids to johnson city tennessee it's not like sending your kids to state college pennsylvania uh where they they get the a taste of the minor league experience yeah. All it is is an extension of what's been going on for months and months and months and months. And you don't really find out as much about those kids, those prospects, until they get away from, from you. It's been really fascinating to watch how the Cardinals have handled some of their younger prospects. And now that Palm Beach is the low-A affiliate, the lowest-level full-season affiliate of the Cardinals, to watch mm-hmm. them like send a guy to Palm Beach for maybe two weeks and then bring them back to, quote-unquote, the complex league, which is just the same facility. Uh, and then <laughs> then maybe like even two weeks later, after that guy works on some mechanical issues, finds his way back into the Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach lineup, like they did with the Cardinals' third-round pick, Ryan Holgate. Uh, he started the year at Palm Beach. It got really rough really quick, and they pulled him back, worked with him for about two weeks, and then reasserted him into the Palm Beach lineup. You know, uh, Edwin Nunez, who is a big-time relief pitching prospect, or... Uh, he's a starter now, but he's going to be a relief pitcher if he, if he ever makes it to the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, he he spent you know he was he was at Palm Beach all last year, pretty much all last year, not all last year, but pretty much all last year. And then this year they kept him back at the complex. He made his Palm Beach debut a couple weeks ago, and he's already back at the complex. So it's been fascinating to watch what they do there. And I think that that I wanted to bring that up you know, as we talk about the, the question that you, that you had, because I think that gives more context about just how, not wild, just how unpredictable, uh, which prospects have always been unpredictable, but just how uncertain things are as we talk about the players that aren't at a full season affiliate and who are in their teenage years.
0: I would say that's got to be kind of somewhat good for them right that at that level to be able to okay you don't have to sit there at in palm beach and struggle you know you don't even have to move you're just okay we're just gonna shift you over here for a little while and see if we can get something going and and put put you back over there at least that part is probably at least somewhat beneficial for them
1: hopefully i guess you know i think it probably depends on and you know the cardinals they frame this stuff right for the players Mm -hmm. uh but i guess it all depends on the player like you know if you if you have a headstrong kid who's never failed who was probably already kind of PO'd about starting <laughs> at a complex level instead of, yeah. you know, not getting an assignment, who goes up to the major or goes up to the Palm Beach, isn't successful, and then is brought back to the complex leave taken off the, the Palm Beach roster, that young man, you know, that might not be a positive. Uh, right. Whereas, you know, two years, three years ago, you'd be able to just let him eat at Johnson City or let him eat at, Palm, or at uh, uh, State College. So I think it probably depends on the player, but I, the framing of it to each person and how they take the framing of it is probably the most important part of it all.
0: I guess that's that's, that's true. Um, did I see that Trey Fletcher got moved up? To, oh. um... Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was bad. It was bad for Trey. Trey, right. Trey went 0 for 16 with 16 strikeouts. Oh. Yeah, and then they sent him back down to the complex and he's working on it. Yeah, it, yeah. I've, I've, it's nothing like anything I've ever watched. You know, and um, I wish I could have watched those games. I have uh, some people who kind of report, not report, Jesus. Uh, I have some people who <laughs> who I talk to who kind of tell me what's going on a little bit, and maybe a teammate or two that I've made a contact with. And it, it from what I understand, it didn't look pretty for that young man. And mm. you know what? What I what we talked about is we've been doing that new little prospect Q and A thing. Uh, what we talked about a little bit with Trey Fletcher is. The 0 for 16 with 16 Ks is as bad as you could possibly imagine or see. And now he's a little older. You know, he he's not a teenager anymore. He's yeah. in his early 20s. So it, with, with him, we can use him as an example for everybody, all the prospects in the organization to say, it's not about the failure. It's about what you learn from it. It's about what you take from it. You know, there's there, there are all kinds of talks, all kinds of reports about the type of kid Trey is. You know, a lot of stuff flies out there about his attitude, about his work ethic, uh, you know, probably more so than a lot of other prospects. And I don't know about that. Like, I know about it, but I don't know about it. And I'm not going to say about anything about it because it's not for me to say. Right. But what I do know is as someone to myself, you know, when I started doing concrete, when I started doing construction, I was 20 years old. I was going to school for broadcast journalism. I ended up having student loan problems. I never, ever wanted to be a construction worker. So those first couple of years were rough. Uh, I loved doing it once I started doing it, and I'm sure someone like Trey Fletcher loves playing baseball. But it wasn't until I realized that the mistakes I were making were things that I could correct if I just slowed myself down, if I was a little bit more humble uh, and and also aware of my mistakes. Uh, that's when I became what I am now, which is a, a foreman of a concrete crew. I did it by the time I was 30, and you know it can happen really, really quick, and. That's the same with Trey. Whatever he's dealing with, whatever he's going through, whatever successes or failure he's having, um, it's about what he's taking from it, what he's learning, and how he's applying. And, you know, one thing that we've watched, uh, one of the many things we've seen in the Cardinals organization is how often there are prospects that seem to fall off the face of the earth. Can become real prospects again. You know, we've, and with outfield prospects too, with Nick Plummer, Oscar Mercado, uh, you know, now Delvin Perez isn't a shortstop anymore. He's, he's a utility player, played a little third, playing the outfield. Um, As long as your team isn't giving up on you, you always have a chance. And if you're a top prospect, if the team has put $2 million into you, they're not going to give up on you until they have to give up on you. Yeah. So, if he's learning from this
0: circumstance, which he very well could be, he's only going to get better in the long run. It is funny to, for you say that, though, that they have put two million dollars into, they're not going to give up on you. And we just talked about them getting rid of Corey Dickerson, who's making five. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I get that it's different because of what they're investing and of what they hope to reap off that. But it is just kind of funny to say that.
1: I would, uh, I would. Uh, the Corey Dickerson thing is fascinating. You know, when they when they signed him, I was like, yeah, sure, bring on the mm-hmm. depth. I maintain that they brought, they knew that they were going to sign Albert Pujols. I've, again, timing's a weird thing because they signed Dickerson first and then they signed Pujols. And it all happened where, at a time when Gorman and Yepes and Donovan were all getting like 10 at bats in a week at spring training. And there was a lot of what seems like a reactionary thought process going on. But I would love to be a fly on the wall. And, you know, they also signed Dickerson right after Brad, uh, uh, Brad Miller signed. And I I just, I wonder how that all went. I would love to go back and see how that all played out because I think, I think that they were not planning to do anything. That's what I think. I don't think that they were planning to do anything. I think they got a little reactionary about a very, very small sample size following a collective bargaining agreement. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I think that there's a really good chance that the ownership was like, oh, hey, sales aren't going well. Let's sign Albert Pujols, and then it was like, oh well, now we need now we need a platoon. So they—that's that's what I think. I could be wrong, but I, I all of those things happening at once. Even though again, the Dickerson signing came before Pujols. Uh, although you know, as the season progressed, we've heard more stories about how maybe the Pujols thing happened less soon, less abruptly than maybe maybe it was let on at first. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I,
0: Dickerson is the, the whole Dickerson thing is super fascinating do you think they just also didn't, I mean, they knew that Juan Iepa was supposed to make his debut, but do they think that he might just struggle more to start with than he'd have? I'm sure. Like, like I
1: said, the, the way that all of the kids started off at spring training, like I get it. I get why they're concerned. I, I think that that's all a product of the collective bargaining agreement taking so long to be reached, you know, Donovan and Yepez in particular, you know, Gorman was at, Palm Beach. He was in Jupiter. He wasn't on the 40-man, uh, just like Libertor. You know, they were working with the Cardinals uh, coaching staff, the minor league coaching yeah. staff. But with Yepes and Donovan in particular, and even Lars Neupar, which is a part of this that, you know, I, we haven't really got into, but those guys, they were locked out. They they could not, They they were working on their own So when you get into spring training, you're talking about an abbreviated spring training that leads into spring training, uh, you know, uh, abbreviated ramp up to spring training. So of course, all of those guys are going to struggle in their first, you know, 10 at bats over five games or whatever it is. Uh, So, yeah, I'm sure that there was some reactionary process in there, but it's definitely, uh, in my opinion, the Corey Dickerson thing is a direct result of what happened with
0: the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that's fair. And it's going to be, I mean, It's just going to be interesting to see when they do cut cut bait on that a little bit. Um, before we leave the whole minor league, let's hit a, a couple of the big names. Um, Mason Wynn, like you said, moved up to double um, A, which now means we have the buddy cop um, of him and Jordan Walker again, uh, which is great. Uh, I think these guys should be together. I, I, is it possible that their relationship will get as much press as the best friends Nolan and Gorman and, and Matthew Libator as they move up because they seem to be they haven't been at the same level all the time, but they seem to be really close. They're not they're not best friends,
1: best friends. Like mm-hmm. uh, they they love each other, they respect each other. The the three of them, including Markivi and Hence, Wynn, Hence, yeah. and Walker, they're they're all really, really close kids. Believe it or not, Wynn is Wynn's closer with Hence. They they played on the same like uh, high school team. You know, uh, uh, they, they, yeah, they were both going to go to Arkansas, uh whoopig, uh whoopig suey. And uh, yeah, so, so they're a little bit closer. But the thing about Mason Wynn is Mason Wynn is everybody's best friend. He, <laughs> he is. You know, I, I talked to uh, 20, mid 20 year old players that were playing at Peoria, both pitchers and position players, and they love Mason Wynn. They, they all talk about how gifted he is and how they love being around him. Yeah, Mason Wynn was 19 years old and you have mm. otherwise professional minor league baseball players who flock to this young man because of how charismatic he is about uh, mm. he is he is a special young man um, the life of the party you know he he'll he'll be the first one of the party and the first one to the stadium you know he's he is just something else so, so to your question I don't think that it'll be Wynn and Walker when they're both here uh, I think I think what you'll see is pretty quick, and sure, we'll push that narrative a little bit. A little bit, yeah. it'll get pushed a little bit. But uh, you know, they—they are two individuals. I will say that they feed off of each other defensively more than they feed off of each other any other way. They hmm. they're both of their games ramp up when they're on the left side of the infield together, and that's—that is the most exciting thing about it.
0: So. How long would this tandem be together at Double A? I guess I'm sure everybody's nice. asked you, right? You know, how, how long is it? Because Jordan Walker doesn't seem to. Have, not that I'm not saying he needs to move because he still needs some experience there, but yeah. he seems to have taken to Double A pretty well. <laughs> I I think
1: that there's a really good chance that within the next month, Jordan Walker is playing for the Memphis Redbirds. Yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> I do. He's he's taken to the level extremely well, uh, as well as you could ask any. He's 20 now, but he turned 20 like a week ago um mm-hmm. you know he he he's taken to it as well as any teenager possibly could you know he's not he's coming into his slug a little bit sure the over the fence power isn't there but it'll get there eventually um I, you and i had talked during the week in dms the athletic had written an article about
0: uh you know not so by what do you want to call
1: it service time do you think that's the best way of putting it
0: uh, yeah, maybe so. Or just the fact what we're talking about, the, the missing that 2020 time. Exactly. Right? Not the play. Well, yeah.
1: the more I think about it, you know, and I, I love Brendan Donovan. I love Juan Yepes. I love Nolan Gorman. I love Matthew Libertor. But I think one thing that I, I hate about modern minor leagues is how fast these guys are climbing the system. Mm. And in that article, you know, they, they, talk, they talked about how many big time major league prospects are fi- are struggling at the major leagues and are finding their way back down into the minors? And I think that, and I, I tweeted about this before that article, but I think that that's going to become the standard. And I think it's in part because of a lost twenty twenty season. I think it's because of the uh, the minor league contraction, losing the short season clubs. But I also think it's a direct product of reacting to success. In an Ooh. overly aggressive manner. You know, yeah. I think back to Oscar Tavares, just really quick. And I, I hadn't thought about this until right now. So I'm just, I'm workshopping this as we talk. Uh, so it's a disaster. It's not going to, it's <laughs> going to end up proving myself wrong before I prove myself right. But I bet if Oscar Tavares were coming up now, he would have made his major league debut a year earlier than what he did. And mm-hmm. he wasn't ready when he made his major league debut. I don't know if I necessarily... As exciting as it is, I don't know if I necessarily like how aggressive organizations are being with their players. And especially with the... law, lo- Especially now, from, from the start of the 2021 season, the start of last season, through the foreseeable future, with the minor league contraction in mind and the lost 2020 minor league season, I just... I think these guys used to get an entire year at a level, Mm -hmm. you know, and sure the, the jump right now, the jump from, and as it's always been the jump from high a to double a is high. You can see it. You can see the talent level, the pitching type. It's a massive, massive jump. Uh, So you would think for sure, you know, uh, Jordan Walker, he's, he's holding his own. He's doing some really impressive things at double a, you know, he could definitely be ready for triple a, but you know, five years ago, six years ago, Jordan Walker would have spent all last year at Palm beach. And then this year he would have spent, except for maybe the last month of the season. And mm-hmm. this year he would have spent all of the season at Peoria, probably unless he was hitting three hundred and thirty with 20 home runs and, you know, an additional 10 doubles right now. Sure. They, they would get aggressive with him. But one thing is for sure is he would spend this entire year at double a and he would start next year at triple a. And that's, that's not going to happen. like, It's not going to happen. You think about Nolan Gorman, like sure. Nolan Gorman, he he's hitting 300 at triple a, he's hitting a bunch of home runs, but, and again, 2020, the lost minor league season changes all that. Right. But he would have got a full year at double a, he would have got a full year at triple a, but what they've been doing with him is he gets like a half a season at each level. And I, you know, for me, And this is something I I argued about with Craig Edwards like 10 years ago now at this point on Twitter. But I think I believe that innings pitched and I believe that at bats at the minor league level are extremely important. It might not be important for everybody. It might not even be important for all of the top prospects, but I believe it's important for a lot of, uh, for some top prospects. And I just, you know, I, I think about how, how it's probably not good for baseball that 30 major league well 25 major league teams are being ultra aggressive with all of their prospects and it's mm-hmm. for mostly to cut down on cost more than anything yeah. and also because us fans are putting pressure on front offices more so than we ever have and it's uh i don't know like it's been on my mind all year and it's been it's been an interesting experiment to watch play out, uh, and I I don't know what that means for for prospects moving forward. I don't I don't know what it means for major league clubs moving forward, but I'd like to see them pump the brakes a little bit. You know, I I, I would have liked to have seen. And Mason Wynn earned his promotion to Double A. I would have liked to have seen him spend the majority of the season at Peoria. You don't you don't have a reason to rush him. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, even with Jordan Walker, like we talk about the, the the question with Jordan Walker. It's, it's a four part question, right? The first part is when is he going to get promoted? Or I guess right. the first, the first part is how good can he be? The second part is when is he going to be promoted uh, to Memphis? The third part is when is he going to change positions? And then the fourth part is what is his ETA? And right. the reason we're having that conversation more so than anything is because he's already at double a right. and he he's earned it. Uh, but Let's say say he was a A right now. Say he was hitting exactly right now at AAA that he's hitting at Double A. What is his role in the majors? Like we would still be pushing for that. We would still hear that, and he's just not ready. I, I he's not ready. None of these kids are ready. And even even Gorman, he's just not ready. Libertor, not mm-hmm. he's just he's not ready for a major league season yet. And I believe it's because their development is getting pushed.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, you're right. I mean, growing up, if you, if a guy moved every year to a different level, that was a pretty standard progression and anybody that jumped at anything was a top prospect. Right. And now it, it seems to me that they don't give the guys a chance to fail at some of those levels and, and try to rebound from that, which is another problem because once you get to the major leagues, you're not going to be that successful, mm-hmm. but if you haven't had a chance to figure out how to rebound from that then you know you have to try to figure it out on the fly and that's that's never good either and that
1: you know the other part about the libertor walker gorman conversation that maybe separates them from donovan and yepes is you know those three and when included those four when walker libertor and gorman those four were prep bats you know they were drafted out of high
0: school mm-hmm.
1: yepes spent 7 seasons in the minor leagues You know, six, well, I guess you take 20, so six seasons in the minor leagues. He had almost, you know, he had at-bats in almost eight full minor league seasons. You know, Brendan Donovan played at Southern, I guess, South Alabama. Uh, You know, they had, he had college under his belt. So that's why, like with those guys, I always felt more confident that when they made a major league debut, they'd have a chance to get going. They've had more at-bats. You know, even Jake Woodford, if you were to ask me right now who I, like, we talked about it earlier with Libertor and Woodford. Uh, but I think those two guys are a lot alike. And if you ask me now who I would rather have in the rotation, I'd probably rather have Woodford because Woodford has the innings. He has the innings Mm -hmm. to work through some of the struggles that you're going to have with the major leagues. You know, some of the things that Johan Oviedo could not work through, Jake Woodford is going to be able to work through. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just, when you sent me that article, I only read like the first part of it. I didn't really get into it. Because all of these thoughts have been circling around and I haven't really talked about them. And I don't know, like, I wonder what that means for the state of baseball and Cardinal baseball moving forward.
0: I mean, I mean, just in general, you look at it in that regard, overall, the, the, the level of baseball is not as strong then, right? And I mean, yeah. you know, we have seen some very smart players come up and we've seen some guys that know how to play, but we've also seen some things that, you know, probably wouldn't have happened 10 or 15 years ago because people would have played forever. I mean, it's, I don't say that they need to go back to what they were in the forties when they had what all the way to D ball and they played like eight years in the, you know, they were like 42 before they made their major league debut. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's no rush on some of these. And, you know, it used to be, and I, I still want to talk a little bit about this year's draft, but it used to be that you said you didn't draft for need. Nobody ever drafts for need in baseball because it's going to be four or five or six years before these players make it. Now it's almost getting to where you, some teams are probably drafting from need, especially with some of those pitchers. A college pitcher could be yeah. in the major leagues. You know, whoa, who was it? I think it was, um, oh, what's the guy you just mentioned with the the crazy slider and never been able to do anything. Um, Starts with a G. Oh,
1: uh, Griffin Roberts. I'm sorry, Griffin
0: Roberts. That's it. You know, I think when he was drafted, wasn't there were people that were saying he could be in the major leagues that that went that summer or that yeah, fall on draft right? night. Then, on
1: draft night, they right. were talking about on MLB Network,
0: which is was hyperbole, probably to some degree. But there are players like that that they think, oh, they can just they'll be there immediately, um, and you can see that, especially with with Roberts, that would have been a disaster. Um, yeah. So I agree that there's no. Reason to push and, and right now with especially with Jordan Walker as much as as exciting as a player as he is you're right where is he going to play I don't know where he's going to play even when he comes up next year yeah. or if he comes up next year um, yeah. because the corners are locked down I mean is is that is that a DH is he going to just take over that DH spot do you think whenever he makes it up
1: no because the other interesting part in all of this is how brutal becoming a full-time DH is for a young player that, you know, mm-hmm. Fangraphs has done studies. I think Baseball Prospectus has done studies that show that when a young player becomes a full-time DH, his offense falls off exponentially. Like he has like a 32 or a 20 something, maybe like a 26% fall off on his offensive st- offensive statistics when he becomes a DH full-time, which says nothing for how what it does to their defense if they're ever asked to play a defensive position again. So I you know that was part of my hesitation. Everybody kept talking about getting rid of Corey Dickerson early and calling up Nolan Gorman. It's like, well, it's the guy who's still trying to figure out second base and you want him to be DH. like that's not it's just not gonna work. It's gonna hurt his offense. It's gonna yeah. hurt his potential defensively. And you know, I think with they'll find a spot for Walker. He'll get to a spot where he'll push it and and he'll he'll get his spot, whether it's a corner or wherever it ends up being it ends up being. Uh, his bat is too good, it's too adult him to not eventually make a major league debut. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what that means for his, his, the position he's going to end up coming off of. I, I view him as a corner outfielder, um, you know, as a funny, quick aside. Um, he went to, he played baseball for Decatur baseball in uh, Atlanta, in Georgia rather. And I get into ar- arguments with them all the time. They think that he could play shortstop. Um, I don't, <laughs> Uh, His throws are weird. Most of his errors that he's committed at third base have been because of his footwork resulting in throwing errors. I think he'll be able to figure that out. I just, I don't know what that means. What I view him as, what I've always kind of viewed him as, is as a amazing, I mean, that's like potential gold glove caliber corner outfielder uh, once he gets some some reps there. Uh, But yeah, they'll find a spot for him when it's time to find a spot. But at the same time, like, I don't want him learning a new position yet as relatively untaxing as it is to earn or learn uh, a corner, earn and learn a corner mm-hmm. outfield spot, or even center. Like I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't be opposed to watching him run around center a little bit. He has the athleticism for it and the the instincts for it. Um, but right now he's still a 20 year old, a recently turned 20 year old who should just be focusing on playing the position he's comfortable in and hitting. That's all he should right now. That's all he should be worried about. The, the position change can come later Especially if it's a outfield spot, especially if it's a corner outfield spot, because it's not going to take. It's only going to take this kid, this twenty-year-old kid, a a week to learn how to play the outfield. Uh, You know, center field's a different story if they end up playing with that, which is something I'd like to see. Uh, But if they put him in a corner, it's going to take him a week of reps, and he'll be fine. He won't be great. He won't be Gold Glove caliber. That'll come down the line. uh, But he'll be fine.
0: Well, that's good. I wasn't sure. I hadn't kept up enough on, on the defense to know what they would, would do, but um, it's good to know that there's really at least that sort of option. A yeah. um, couple of things before we do wrap this portion up, I do want to talk to <laughs> Kyle about other things that other people may not be interested in. So we'll put it or might want to be spoiled about. So we'll put a little divider there, <laughs> but um, first of all, have you had a chance yet to do any draft work or if you've been so focused on the minors that that's kind of gone by the wayside? Just a little bit. Not a lot. Uh, I was
1: hoping that my Mondays, since the minor leaguers are off on Mondays, I was hoping my Mondays would be dedicated to getting caught up on the draft. Um, And I'm, I'm not there. Uh, Everyone I've, everyone I've talked to has been very disappointed that that's, that's where I'm at, but uh, I'm off all day Monday. I'll be uh, hanging out with my girlfriend's son, uh, so my hope is that I can I can hang out and uh, like really dive in, but but we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, and then it's not till what? It's it's All Star Weekend, right? Or All Star Week, right? In that attempt. Where... Yeah, right about then. Jo- it's July seventeenth through the nineteenth.
1: And now <laughs> so, no, this is this will be the first time that it, the first, you know, last year was just the first
0: round was the first day. This year it's the first mm-hmm. two rounds. Okay. Okay, so still some time. We'll cut you some slack there. But don't let it happen again.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, you know. So, but that being said, like I, you know, a lot of the names I do know, like the, obviously uh, Parada, Drew Jones, Brooks Lee, Eli Green, Jackson Holiday. Like I know enough about those those top names that I feel that I feel like if I could be quizzed on them right now, I'd I'd be fine. I, I you know, real fast, just in reference to what the Cardinals might do. You know, I don't I don't know. My guess is that just like with Gorman. If somebody falls to them, they'll, they'll take him. Uh, I, I think that they like athletic bats uh, with, with present and also projectable power. And while I think the organization probably needs more arms, I don't necessarily know if there's many arms that I'd be intrigued in in the first round. Uh, I, I think you can actually do more damage in the second round or third round, maybe even the fourth round, um,
0: going arm than you could you know, early in the draft. Slightly depressing to me that Matt Holiday's son is already ready to be drafted, but that's part of being old. Yeah. Just wait till
1: till you get to his second son. Uh, Wait till you get to Mason following Jackson because there's a Mason. Mason's a little bit more fiery. And uh, I'm anxious to see how those two, how their draft stocks, because I think Mason's still two years away. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm anxious to see how his draft stock
0: climbs like Jackson's did. Yeah, because yeah, I I hadn't I knew that their boy his boys were playing ball. I knew they were highly rated. I didn't know until just recently that you know Jackson was like in the top the top realm of the draft. So that was uh, maybe not unexpected, but still pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Um. Finally, uh you know we've we've heard again another setback for Alex Reyes. Oh, uh, you know, and it's it's I hate to it's kind of a depressing thing to end on. But what are your thoughts about the future of Alex? I mean, you've watched him throughout the whole thing. Um, where do you think is is there a future? I guess maybe we should say for Alex Reyes.
1: Maybe the best way to put it is there's just no reason to give up on him yet. Yeah, uh, you know, sometimes perspective is really your your ally, and I, uh, you know, I, there probably isn't reason to think that there's there's going to be another a major league future in there, but there's also no reason to give up on it yet. All he costs right now is a 40 man spot and chump change. Relatively speaking, uh, arm. We all know, I mean, everybody who has an opinion about this starts us off with the same thing. The shoulder is the worst shoulders, worse than elbow. So you start, you start from a bad spot to begin with, Mm -hmm. but if you can just get, if you can get him healthy, if you can get one more year out of him, Uh, and if he can like that, that's a huge victory that to me, like, I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if he'll ever take the mound again for the Cardinals in Bush stadium or, uh, uh, in a major league stadium, but I like, I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on him. I'm not ready to, I never in a million years would I say that he's going to find his way back on the mound again. But I, uh, for me, I'm just, I'm stepping back and I'm just saying, Whatever happens, happens. I, yeah. I, he's still worth, even with the shoulder issues, to me, you know, we get to the offseason. You can't have guys on the IL. He's still worth his 40-man spot unless he hasn't recovered well from, from the shoulder issue. And that's that's yeah. where my mind's at with Alex Reyes.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested to see if they don't try to do some sort of, okay, we're going to non-tender, but then re-sign you know, later on try to get him off just if he still needs the rehab time, but um and so they don't have to try to go, you know, deal with arbitration. It's so weird to think that how far he is into his career yeah. for how little that he's actually, you know, pitched in the major leagues. Yeah, poor kid, you know,
1: I mean yeah, it is he's, he's dealt with so much. And yeah, uh true. yeah, just the poor kid. Right? It just it's so sad. And not just with Alex Reyes, but all of these pitching prospects and these these pitchers, not even pitching prospects, mm-hmm. but all of these pitching injuries. It's just it's so sad. Every time it scrolls up on Twitter and I see so and so is having a is having UCL, blah blah blah. Like it it hits me. It hits me harder now than it ever has because of how heartbreaking it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's so. I mean, for all the excitement and happiness about seeing a guy make his major league debut, there's so many that that never get there and it could have because of without injuries or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to see. So um, on that exciting note, mm. um, Kyle and I will, like I say, transition to a galaxy far, far away You're here for a second. I'm going to give it a little bit of pause. So if you do not want to hear about uh, Star Wars or do not want to be spoiled by something you haven't watched yet, I'm going to let you have a chance to do, duck out now. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'll be back next week with uh, Alex uh who's going to join me for the last week before uh, Alan Medlock makes his triumphant return. Uh, tanned, rested, and ready, apparently. So uh, so if you're not listening to the last part, good night. And if you are, we'll move on right now.
1: Parker can do it! I'm standing here in pieces, and you're having to lose the grandeur!
0: All right, Kyle. Spoilers! Spoilers. <laughs> That's right. Spoiler alert! <laughs> We have both watched Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, I, I will let you go first, because you watched it first, so that's only fair. Um, Darn too. Your initial thoughts and excitement, I guess, about it. I love it. It's amazing. I, uh, I love the way it looks.
1: I think it's cinematically beautiful. I know that fans are probably going to have a problem with Kenobi uh, already having some type of relationship with Princess Leia. Uh, I'm I'm prepared for that, and I, I understand that I'm sh- like I understand their concerns, but I don't care about it at all. I think that uh, I think it's well acted. I thought Kamal N- Nunanji or whatever. I, I apologize for butchering his last name. I thought that role could have been very annoying. I thought he handled it extremely well. Uh, uh, Re- the actress who plays Reva, she she she's something else. Like she's <laughs> in that role and she's owning oh, yeah. it. And that's, it's awesome to see somebody like that. She, she killed it for me, but i I love the show, Daniel. I've, uh, I seeing, I, I told, I told my girlfriend, there were two things that got me, uh, like emotionally, uh, and I'm not an emotional person, uh, seeing Alderaan, uh, that, mm-hmm. that got me. I didn't expect that, you know, obviously. And then we see all and then a little girl getting dressed, uh, that got me emotional. I was like, wait, what is happening to me? What is happening on television right now? <laughs> and then the opening, uh, not only, yeah. not only the recap, because the recap got me a little bit, but the way it opened on Coruscant, Uh I, I was a wreck. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was a wreck. And I, you know, Star Wars ties into my brothers and all that stuff. Like, but I was a wreck, and those two those two moments in particular, seeing Alderon and seeing uh, uh, a those two moments got me, Daniel. They got me
0: hard. What do you think? <laughs> it was, you know, I had asked. We have a in our Star Wars uh, group chat on on Twitter. Uh, I had asked for opinion or first impressions before I watched it, and a friend Tina said that it was uh, cinematic in quality and I really felt like it was, I mean, it, you, it easily could have been a film. I mean, yeah. you were watching in the theater, just the way that it was put together and presented. Um, it, it was different than Mandalorian and, and Boba Fett. Yeah. And maybe it's because of the character that they're trying to do it a little bit more justice or felt like if you've got you and McGregor, you have to you know, step up your game a little bit, but, um, it was, you know, visually amazing. Um, But yeah, the story, (laughs) watching Obi-Wan barter with a Jawa was great. (laughs) Um, You know, to, but to see, I mean, we've, we've, we've heard talk about it, you know, Obi-Wan being this broken man and and being kind of disconnected. um, And to see that, I mean, you and Gregor played that so well. Yeah. Um, It just, just this idea of him just being beaten down and, and really, you know the fact that he's not using the force until the you know the very last moment that he has, um, I think tells about that connection that the force has with the Jedi. Yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, there was, and yeah, it's a it's a perfect casting for the little Princess Leia. Oh yeah. Um, I mean that felt like Carrie Fisher as a young child, um, and then yeah to see. To see c3po to see um, yeah. you know bail organa back um to to see some of these moments and just just i mean and they're not a big they don't make a big deal about it i mean 3po's on the screen for what like 30 a third of a second oh, really. I mean, he's barely there yeah. Yeah. but it it made it feel more real just to let this that little bit so yeah, I'm very excited to see. I'm. i already can tell. I don't like the fact it's going to be just six episodes. I feel like this is one that you know you were going to want to go on forever. Yeah. Um, I'm still going to be. I'm very interested. I. I feel like maybe you, you can agree or disagree with me. Um, I think it's. It seems pretty clear that Reva is probably one of those Padawans that we saw. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I thought that was total setup there. Yeah. I am just very. I was not expecting at all anybody to know that Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker. So when she said Lord Vader, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And then she said, yeah, Anakin still lives. And I'm like, what the heck? That that blew me. I did not expect that.
1: Yeah, me too. That uh, I uh, yeah, same thing. I was completely surprised by that. Completely. Uh, but yeah, even Flea, like Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, his his role is so good. It's so perfectly cast.
0: What do you think about the Grand Inquisitor? What do you think about what happened there? Very interesting. I mean, that was like, what, you know, obviously we know, or at least we thought we did, that he doesn't die until Rebels. Um, I did see somebody point out that in Rebels, he says, yes, he's falling to his death, that there are things worse than death. You know, we always assumed it was, I always assumed it it was to talk about how Vader can, you know, torture and all that. It could be that there's some sort of, you know, cloning you know, bring people back to life. I mean, you know, who knows? Um, There's a lot of different possibilities because we've seen people, you know, Fennec Shaw shouldn't be alive. You wouldn't think she is. Yeah. Um, Stuff like that. So, or it's just a guy that doesn't, you know, the Grand Inquisitor, it just happened to be a guy that looked like that. I, I don't think, I think it's supposed to be the same character but yeah, for her to just, you know, stab him in the gut with a lightsaber yeah that was a little unexpected. I didn't I did not think about the cloning
1: aspect of it. That'd be that'd be super interesting. I'd love that.
0: Yeah, well did and then is there a clip maybe of some clones? I don't remember well, uh, that we saw like in the trailer or something.
1: I I uh so, man, I don't remember either. And now it got me thinking yeah. about the Andor trailer, but uh Yeah, that maybe what I'm thinking of is the Andor trailer. That's what I'm thinking of. But speaking of which was also cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh speaking of clones, we did get a clone on the city street there in Dayu.
0: Yeah. Yep. And played by Timmy Morrison. So that was that was pretty awesome. I mean, and it was very, I mean, interesting, right? We, we still don't necessarily know a lot about that clone and the aging thing. Obviously, you know, that guy was much older. Yeah. Um, but And we know Rex stays around through um, Return of the Jedi. But it can't be too many of those clones still running around it. 10 years after Order 66, right? I mean, they've got to start start aging out and things of that nature. So yeah, it's just and it obviously, obviously the Empire, and we've kind of seen that, I think, at least in some other media, uh, maybe in the comics and stuff, where they've started, you know, immediately started transitioning out of clones and into uh, constricted, constricted peoples. Um, so obviously that clone, you know, out on, you know, they did, they just kind of tossed them out on the streets, it looked like yeah i'm anxious to see if that uh, if that clone ends up
1: playing or if the clones maybe not that particular one but mm-hmm. if they play a, an, a more a, a role in all of this
0: yeah yeah it could be interesting i you know again you know only six episodes we've already seen two uh, and we know vader and obi-wan get together so man that's gonna be so much so much in this uh it's gonna be cool um you you referenced the Endor trailer. Did you? What did you think of that? I've
1: watched it probably more than any other of the Star Wars trailers. I uh, <laughs> we I, I you know in our little DM we talked about the thing that stood out me stood out to me is wait this actually feels for the first time like a bridge between the prequels and the original trilogy like and the way that they're setting it up where the first season is going to be twelve episodes set in you know set over one year mm-hmm. and then the second season is going to be twelve episodes set over. Five, you know, a four or five years time span leading into the events of Rogue One. It, you know, to see um, Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma in front of the Galactic uh, Senate. To see that, like that, got me too. Uh, so to 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 know that we have a show that might actually bridge that gap more than just Rogue One did has me so excited. I, uh, uh, you know, even more than Kenobi here. Like, that trailer did it for me. It did it on every possible level for the Star Wars fan inside of me.
0: Yeah, I'm very, it's going to be very interesting. And, I mean, that's, you know, Cassidy Andor is going to be a very different type of hero. I mean, we saw him kind of smooth the rough edges, as you were, in Rogue One. But he's going to be a guy that kills an ally, um, you know, as he did at the very beginning of that. That's going to be... I think it's going to be very different to see because we're not really, I mean, we're not used to a morally gray republic, right? Or a rebellion, yeah. right? I mean, we've always kind of been, you know, these are the good guys. Well, and we saw it at some in Rogue One, but we're going to see more of it here that they're not always the good guys. Yeah, and even like the actors who are playing characters that we're not familiar with, like they
1: got uh, the, the last woman in the character. I, I don't know her name, but she's in a show called Killing Eve. That is, she's, she's amazing in that. And uh, one of the stalls, you know, stalling scars guards in it. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's got some really amazing actors uh, to go along with. Honestly, like the part, you know, we have the expanded universe stuff and we know that that's not exactly, it's not canon anymore, but like, this is the part that I'm, I'm most interested in. I don't feel, you know, I don't, I guess I don't know enough about the expanded universe really uh, other than some of the comic stuff. Like, I want to know more about this era of Star Wars. Like, this is this is really the, the era that I want to know the most about. I want to know about the Rebel Alliance, how we got into a position to get to Rogue One. Like, uh, that, so for me, like... And again, I thought... I didn't know what to expect from Andor. I thought it'd be like a eight-episode, six-to-eight-episode espionage thriller where, you know, we're going to sell you a robot and, uh, you know... You know, you know what I mean. Like, I, I thought it'd be, watered, I thought it'd be watered down, and this, this doesn't look watered down at all. This looks cinematic. It looks, it looks like it might be towing a line that maybe Star Wars hasn't towed.
0: Star Wars is is definitely, and I think I guess most stories to some degree have worked better, but Star Wars especially seems to work better on the small screen just because they can tell they can they can flesh this stuff out more. I mean, it would be. Yeah, the two-hour, two and a half-hour movies are great and they're fun, but if you really want to know the, the the characters, you need to spend some time with them. And you know, again, six hours for Kenobi, twelve plus twenty-four total out of Andor, um, I, that's huge. Um, I'm very interested to see. Um, apparently today it didn't; it's not been released. But at Celebration, they showed maybe first look footage from Ahsoka. Oh, uh, which has apparently a live-action Hera and Chopper. no way. And, um, you know, Sabine uh, confirmed. I've got chills. Uh, I I hadn't seen that. I've got chills. I haven't, you know, I've just found an article about it. Um, And again, they don't have the footage out there, but apparently you see um, kind of a, uh, you know, uh, it says it also appears to get a live-action recreation of the final scene of Rebels and look at Sabine from the back looking at a mural that include, you know, like we saw at the end of that. So oh my God. it really does feel like Ahsoka is going to be the, you know, let's go find Thrawn and, and, and Ezra. And you know, that's going to be a, a pretty insane. I think to, to be able to move out into that era era of, of star Wars as well. Yeah.
1: Oh God. That uh gives me chills, man. I, uh, it, it really does and not you know not to earlier when i was like we've never really had the bridge there like not to not to dismiss rebels because i loved rebels right but just to be able to see like the political aspect of it all and and like that gets me thinking to, to what the point that you were just making can you imagine if george lucas you know he wanted a he wanted a chance to flesh out the galactic uh uh, uh p- policies the The uh, Mm -hmm. bureaucracy of it all. And he also wanted to get more into the midichlorian counts and all that stuff. Like, just imagine if he would have had a chance to do the prequel trilogy as uh, an ongoing show. Like, yeah, I I bet that we would not have as much vitriol towards the prequels. And and it's been awesome to see that kind of backpedaled, you know, I have my issues with the prequels Mm -hmm. as much as I have, you know, my issues with the sequels. But, uh, uh <laughs> issues we will not dig into <laughs> we've already spent an hour and a half on this show but uh yeah no so like i don't know I, I i when you said that it got me thinking man i wish he had a chance to give the prequels a run as a television uh you know a, a 10 hour you know 10 episode season maybe three yeah. seasons uh, get a chance to really make a run at it where he could really get into it because I, I think that'd be fascinating
0: that would be, I think that would have done. And, and, you know, it would not be surprised if some point in time, they don't try to do something like that. Right. You know, maybe set between Phantom Menace and attack of the clones um, maybe set right before Phantom Menace even, you know um, and develop that world a little bit more and, and quote, quote, redeem the prequels some more. Yeah. Um, you know, because we're getting that show what in a, a year or two now that they keep talking about the acolyte, which is set at the end of the High Republic. So it's it's before all this stuff, but it's still going to have some of that. You know, how does the how does the Republic start to crumble? How did the Sith come back? Um, I think if it develops that way, it's going to have a little bit of what you're talking about in it as well. I'm excited for it. I yeah.
1: I like that uh, Star Wars is transitioning to the small screen. I think for movies that have established themselves in like a trilogy standpoint, I think I think now as small screen is so accessible there's so many different streaming services, I think that a, a big franchise is actually served best uh once it's established itself uh, mm-hmm. to to transition to the small screen. I think I think you can actually learn a lot more about the characters that way. So I I love it. I can't get enough of it. I you know, if you would ask me 10 years ago if I'd be more into Star Wars then or 10 years I I would have said, "Oh, I'll never be more into Star Wars than I am now." And <laughs> I'm right now at this very moment. I'm I'm more into it than I've I've ever been, and that goes back to even the stuff that like I I've been critical of in the past. Like I almost have a new appreciation for most of it uh, that I otherwise wouldn't. You know, I uh, real you know, joking around about the Last Jedi mm. aside, I have I have my issues with that. But to see right. to see Obi Wan cut himself off from the Force. That almost validates Luke cutting himself off from the force a little bit too. So I I think as they continue to do this stuff, I don't know. It, hel- it helps me appreciate the whole aspect a little bit more.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, in some ways you can look at it as, as retcons and things of that nature. But so often it's also just giving more context, exactly. giving more reasons for this to actually happen it's not necessarily just uh, oh this is kind of cool it's like this is this relates to that mm-hmm. or, or or you know in, in some way that doesn't necessarily seem obvious and you know i'll be ex- you know i'll be glad when they get to the movies i'm very interested to see what takiri wakani or whatever he says his name will do with his star wars because we've seen what he does with thor yeah uh which i like i just don't know i don't know how that sensibility translates. Um, but until then, I mean, I I am so glad that we have the Disney Plus because it also means they don't rush out a movie, right? I mean, that was part of the problem with the the sequels. Yeah. I think we can all agree is they wanted to get that money and get that get that stuff out there. If they had had Disney Plus when this when they bought it, you know, I don't know. I mean, you probably would have gotten a movie and then maybe a show about Finn or something before between the two movies, yeah. even um which would have helped a lot oh boy yeah
1: Yeah. i I know that so much and
0: that's uh, i was gonna say i know a lot of
1: the the sequel trilogy actors don't really seem interested in rekindling their roles but i i'd love to get more of them
0: yeah yeah i there have been rumors of a finn show set post um rise of skywalker um i think I think John Boyga has, you know, he's obviously had his issues with the, the, and been very critical of of the organization, but he's also talked with the management about those issues. It's not just, Hey, I'm going to throw lobs in the press. He's, you know, he's been with them. And I think if they could come to him with something that shows, you know, something he would really like, I think he'd be back on it. And I think that would be very interesting to watch. I I'd bet
1: that, um, Oscar Isaacs would too. He he talked about reading the Poe in comics, you know, when he was doing press for Moon Knight, he talked about reading the Poe in oh, really? comics. So, you know, to do that, like, I don't know, I, he likes the character. He was he was a little less outspoken about his he did it in a very tactful political way. Uh, talking about maybe some of the, the his complaints with with how the sequel ended up going, yeah. but man, like I I just want more Poe. You know that he had an awesome. Yeah. What they did with him, his parents, and the comics, I thought were really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to see that those characters come back. You know, I I don't know. I it just it's an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan.
0: It is. It is. And I think I got those actors have to have at least some possession of those characters, right? Yeah. I mean, if they. If if Star Wars came to them and said, "Hey, we want to do a we want to do a, a story about Ray," you know Daisy Ridley is at least going to listen to that just because of what that means, and especially if it doesn't require a five year commitment or anything of that nature, too. Yeah, um, some of these guys are doing some other things, and that's all. You know, not counting, uh, we still have not seen anything about the second season of Bad Batch. Um, yeah. we don't, and there's also a Tales of the Jedi that I believe is supposed to be announced. They've, they've talked about it being an animated show that they're supposed to give more details of about maybe today at Star Wars celebration so much going on and it's uh should be a lot of fun did that that
1: droid show was supposed to come out too right or, or remember like yeah there's mm-hmm, a droid story yeah that's a droid uh, story that's it
0: yeah I got the impression it was almost like a TV movie ah, type of thing okay uh, it wasn't a show it was more of a, of a one-shot thing Um I have not heard any more about that as of recently, but I always got the, impression, I mean, it was a 23 or a 24 type of thing. Okay. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're getting to the point and we've talked about this with stars. We definitely talked about it with Marvel. Um, they're getting to the point where there's, there's so much stuff out there that either you have to wait forever, like Mando season three, is not coming out till, you know, next year. And it's been what, it's like two or three or so years. Yeah. Like if you don't years. count the last half of Boba Fett, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> um, since we've seen that, do you either have to wait a long time between episodes seasons or you got to, you know, you're going to have something every day. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how they balance all this stuff that they want to do with just the, you know, physical constraints of, of television. I can't wait, man. I can't wait to see. I, can't, I just, I'm so excited for it all. Yeah. It's great stuff. Kyle, I appreciate it. I've taken up a lot of your time, and I've probably kept you from giving, uh who knows how many minor league uh, <laughs> at-bats. So um, I appreciate you joining me, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Have fun with Alex next weekend or next week. I, I will try. So until next time, for Kyle, I'm Daniel. Good night.
1: They just won't